Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on another edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point. We start with, it's over. We made it. Carter Carls, right off the bat. When we're sitting there on September 12th for the Duke game, kick off the Notre Dame 2020 Notre Dame football season, did you ever think we'd get to this point where the regular season is now officially over, thanks to the ACC canceling what should have been the season finale, regular season finale against Wake Forest? It's over. Notre Dame 10 and 0, 9 and 0, regular season first place in the ACC. Did you ever think we'd get to this point? I felt like when it came to starting the season and at least playing a few games, I was one of the more optimistic people. But when it came to finishing the season and getting to the finish line, that's where I was a little skeptical. And I just didn't know how it was going to go. And we would never seen anything like this before. And I just could have seen – there being so many opt-outs and so many canceled games that they end up just canceling the whole season. So a little surprising when I just think back to September, but, you know, uh, it speaks to, I guess, the job that, that, uh, and, and the maneuvering and the navigating that a lot of these programs had to do. And, you know, I feel fortunate. Like, again, I, I always say I feel like we're playing with house money this year. Like, I don't care the fact that there's no fans in the stands or limited capacity or we have to go to an empty press box and, like, do everything over Zoom. Like, we can't really complain because we didn't even know this would fully happen. So I feel pretty good just the fact that we were able to cover uh, 10, 11 games and, you know, uh, be, be part of, like, one of the craziest seasons ever. Uh, college football wise like just feels really cool to be able to have said that I've covered this season and uh, we've still got a lot of football to be played left it it appears and like Brian Kelly in his post-game zoom conference after Notre Dame moves to 10-0 9-0 in the ACC with a 45-21 victory over a Syracuse team that that was basically playing its bowl game on Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium a 1-10 Syracuse team Brian Kelly started his zoom conference on Saturday thanking the players, the medical staff, the, everything in the administration. And you kind of have to feel the same way because Notre Dame, it looked like for, for a couple of days there in September when this thing seemingly was spinning out of control with high numbers, with positive tests, the game against Wake Forest gets canceled because Notre Dame can't feel the team. Father John Jenkins is threatening to, to basically shut down the university send the students home for the rest of the semester. Like that was a, that was a big time wake up call for this program to say, look, we have a chance to do something really special this year and chase a national championship. 
I don't, I, I, I don't think it, I, I don't think they, they really focused on chasing an ACC championship in relation to, as opposed to is maybe just being a really good football team and having a chance to get to the college football playoff. Like it was time in, in mid September when this whole thing was getting out of control for this team and this program to take it really seriously. And ever since then, you'd be hard pressed. Like I know they mentioned on NBC yesterday that Syracuse has not had a positive coronavirus test since this whole thing started. But other than that, you'd be hard pressed to find a team in the top 10, maybe even in the top five that has taken this as seriously as Notre Dame and said, look, let's follow all these protocols. It sucks that we can't do the normal, the, the normal things that college kids can, can do. But if we want to have a season and if we want to chase a championship and get back to the college football playoff for the second time in three years, we have to follow all these protocols. And for the most part, since September, there's been maybe a case here or there. But hats off to Notre Dame and what they were able to do to kind of navigate through this because when that Wake Forest game was scrapped, you're thinking, are they even going to get to Clemson on November 7th? And now, next up, Clemson Part 2 in the ACC Championship. Yeah, and, like, it's a little bit of fingers crossed, I think, the next few weeks because Mm – now, now, I mean, it, there's a couple ways you can look at it. Number one, they don't have anything to do when it comes to school, um, when it comes to just like no friends being there, no students being there, but also they have nothing to do. So maybe they won't be finding things to do, you know, like there's not going to be parties to go to. There's not going to be uh, a lot of students on campus. There's not going to be classes. So maybe maybe in a way that's actually helpful um, and it'll allow them to just focus on, on football. But um, yeah, it'll be a, a big focus the next few weeks where you're just kind of sitting around twiddling your thumbs and what you do uh, may, may have a severe impact on how this team, you know, who will be available and who won't be available. But yeah, really since like the last couple of months, it, it has been smooth sailing for this team. And, you know, this is one of the teams in college football who had probably one of the biggest outbreaks, like, yeah, 38 or 39 in quarantine and isolation. I can't remember many college football programs that had more than that at any point in this season. Now, Notre Dame is willing to share those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone else is willing to share their numbers, but yeah, that, that for them to go through that, and to only have really one game canceled uh, is kind of incredible. I mean, the fact that they were able to play 11 games, uh, or I guess, did they play 11 or 10? 10. 10, 10. Games. I can't do math, but 10 games is very impressive to me. And, uh, yeah, especially after everything they went through. Hey, when we start with dissecting Saturday's game, where do you think we start? It's, we got to start with the obvious, right? My man, Ian Book. Yeah. 30-3 and three is a starter. All-time winning as quarterback in Notre Dame history as far as wins. Not win percentage, but wins. 30 wins. And this is a guy who was like fifth string when he walked in the door five years ago. An original commitment to Washington State. That's where he was going to play his college football, out in the Palouse. Pullman, Washington. Instead, he arrives here, and it's kind of like, who's this guy? Like, is, is this guy ever going to play? Like, I don't think anybody would have been surprised had it been 
Ian Book senior day and had it been a normal senior day, he would have run out of the tunnel to greet his parents and Brian Kelly and received like just a smattering of applause for a guy that had never seen the field. And now it's totally opposite. This guy's walking away 30-3 and three as, the as, the, as the starter at the University of Notre Dame, leads the Irish to their second undefeated regular season in the last three years. And they're on a full steam express back to the college football playoff. And a lot of it has to do with Ian Book. It's crazy just how the, the narrative has completely changed on Ian Book. Heading into this year and really up until halfway through the season, you remember the Louisville game, mm -hmm. bad performance from him. The, the narrative was what, what is it that he can't do? And how do we get him to do that? It's like, okay, is it his arm? Is it his decision-making, his mental side? Why, why is he leaving plays on the field? Uh, why is he being antsy in the pocket? It, it, was, it was always about what he can't do and his weaknesses. It felt like that was what a lot of people dwelled on. But now I feel like no one's dwelling on that anymore for the most part, and it's all about he's a winner, he's a winner, he's a winner. And that's like the number one word you always hear from him. He's a winner. <laughs> and, and it's also like if you ever say anything bad about him, it's like, well, you know, he's not as talented as this, but he's a winner. <laughs> like that, that's always the – I hate that. Like, <laughs> right. Everybody, 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 I think everybody looks at Ian Book and says, well, he's not Trevor Lawrence. Or he's not quarterback A, B, or C. He's not any of those guys. Like, he's Ian Book. And, and people want to look at him and say, well, how does he project to the next level? Well, he's not going to be – who cares if he's not going to be a first-round NFL draft pick or he's not going to have a 10-year a, a professional career? You just look at what he does now in this program, and you can't help but say, you know what? The guy's a winner. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I mean, I think the – one of the more impressive things to me. I, I was bored the other night and I noticed uh, him and Brandon Winbush were doing an Instagram live with each other. And like, you could just tell it. It's not like, like Ian book. He could totally have an ego if he wanted to with all the success that he's had being the quarterback in Notre Dame for so long, but he is extremely humble and, and really is willing to give credit to, to his teammates. I, I also watched, uh, Holly Rowe do an interview with him this week and uh, he was dishing out credit to everyone on the team and Holly was like can you please like stop this like I'm trying to give you a Heisman uh, like some Heisman consideration and you're being way too modest about yourself so I think it's pretty cool to see how he's grown off the field too um, I think he kind of came in as this like maybe shyer kid I think he was always pretty confident but when it came to like being a leader I don't think when he was the starter right away, I don't think he was like fully ready for that. Not ready for that, but he wasn't like where he is now. And now you've just seen him grow so much, not just on the field, but off the field. And that's been pretty cool to see too. Your man, Tommy Tremble said it best in the post game zoom yesterday. He's just a baller. He's a baller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And man, I, I, I want to talk about though, like the Syracuse game, Obviously, I think there were times that it was a struggle for, for Book. But what was incredible to me is 
you look up at the score and it's seven three Syracuse with about five minutes left in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame is going off the field. Like th- this is there. They just had an incomplete pass. They're off the field. And then a dingus for Syracuse uh, <laughs> has a roughing the passer penalty. That yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a three and out. It's a, a, Ian Book throws the interception yeah. or the, the incompletion. It's a three and out. They're going to punt late in the first half there. Yeah, for all you know, Syracuse is able to either go into halftime with like a 7-3 or 10-3 lead or, or maybe, maybe Notre Dame just gets one touchdown and it's 10-7 and Syracuse has the ball. But instead, it's like Notre Dame touchdown, turnover, Notre Dame touchdown, <laughs> uh, punt. Notre Dame touchdown, and then all of a sudden you look up as twenty four seven in like the span of three minutes, and you think, "Wow, how much this changed?" And like Brian Kelly said, "Yeah, this team started at three thirty, not two thirty when it was mm-hmm. slated to kick off." But like, it's just it's kind of crazy to think how Syracuse had Notre Dame's number for the first quarter and a half, and how just one play derailed it. <laughs> Well, and you look at the slow start, and it was 3 nothing after the first quarter. And you were there. You and Tyler James were in Notre Dame Stadium in the ninth-floor press box, so you can speak to, to what the atmosphere was like. But given everything that this program has been through the last five weeks, they play four of their last five on the road. They're traveling here. They're traveling there. And their only home game was Clemson, 47-40, double overtime against the then number one team in the nation in Clemson. So you had a five-week stretch where, where they were just flying. You know, they're, they're going here, they're going there, they're playing this team, they're playing that team. You got a bye week in there. They played that home game against Clemson. Fans rushed the field afterward, and the atmosphere was, was about as good as it could be given the pandemic. Then you come back on Saturday, no students, no band, no atmosphere. Like, you could hear everything that was going on on the Syracuse sideline because like we mentioned earlier, they were playing their, cha- their their playoff game. Their bowl game was Saturday. So th- they were really into it, and you could hear that on television where it was kind of like that was the first time this year, especially at home, but that was the first time this year that Notre Dame really had to generate its own energy and, and like Kyron Williams says, generate their own juice. And I think for a quarter and a half, they, they kind of struggled with that with, man, we we, we got to get going here. This is a one-on-nine team. There's no atmosphere. There's no fans in the stands. It was the lowest, the smallest crowd in how many decades? So what was, what was it like Saturday sitting there firsthand at Notre Dame Stadium for you? Well, I think when you've seen a team win at that point, 23 straight home games, mm-hmm. 15 straight games going into that game, and those seniors having won all those games that they have won – while there was a little bit of nervous energy, I don't think anyone was particularly worried that they're going to lose this. And I think there was a confidence that, hey, they're going to win this by double digits. It'll be a commanding thing. They just got to get their act together. Now, had that gone into the third quarter or the fourth quarter, I think obviously that would have changed the mood. But I think at that point, they just kind of knew, okay, we kind of started slow and you know, Syracuse had a couple of big plays, and that's really about it. It's not like Syracuse was dominating uh, in every facet of the game. So, yeah, I, I think there was some of that nervous energy, um, and it was extremely strange. Uh, there were 6,831 fans. That's the lowest attendance 
Notre Dame Stadium history. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it was uh, also an emotional day being senior day. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think there was ever a worry that it was like, oh, no, like what's happening? Especially like, you know, Syracuse is not a good team. Like they just <laughs> – they're, they're very bad. Now, I think they're better than their record shows. Like one in ten. No, they're not. No, they're not. I think they're a little bit better. I mean, they've been pretty competitive with Clemson, with Notre Dame, with NC State, uh, but they're still a bad football team. I, I, you know, they're better than one in ten, but they're more like a three and seven or like four and six kind of team is what I'm trying to say. Still bad, but not the worst team in college football kind of thing. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah. The the thing that stood out to me, you were talking about Ian Book. Uh, another one, just with it being senior day, was Javon McKinley. Yep. I mean, my goodness. I couldn't believe that he walked into the game with no touchdowns. Like None. Zero. If he's been. And, you know, what What a game for him and just kind of a stamp at, at the end of this regular season that he put on this. Um you know, Tyler James, our, our, our colleague, had, a, had an article about him this week and talked to his family. And, you know, he had thought, even his parents had thought, man, we transfer? Like, how do we do this? Because he didn't do anything the first few years. He got off of field trouble. But this is just a testament to, you know, stay in the course, believing in yourself, and having others believe in you. He could have easily gone somewhere else. And look at where he is now. And one of the stats I looked at yesterday, kind of crazy when you think about it, he has more 100-yard receiving games this year than Chase Claypool had last year and then Miles Boykin had in 2018. Boykin had three. Claypool had three. McKinley has had four. And with the pace he's on, I mean, he might have five or six by the, by the time it's all said and done. So, like, again – Came out of nowhere, believed in himself, and it's quite the story with, with just everything he's gone through. Speaking of Tyler James, we will take a break right now as Tyler James tells us about Coors Light. Hey, Fighting Irish fans. The best way to unwind and chill out during these busy go, go, go days is to reach for the one beer that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. It's important to relax these days, so crack open a mountain cold Coors Light and chill out. Now that we're getting towards the critical parts of the college football season, it's important to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged Coors Light. In fact, the mountains on the can will turn blue when chilled to perfection. So when you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com. As the games get hotter and hotter, reach for the one beer that's made to chill, Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Back on the Pot of Gold Extra Point podcast with Carter Carls. My name is Tom Noy. Notre Dame moves to 10-0, 9-0 in the ACC. Regular season champs of the ACC. Well, they actually don't recognize the regular season champion. They don't even recognize the regular season champion in men's basketball either, but that's another story. So 45-21 over Syracuse. We mentioned Ian Book. 24 of 37, 285 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran for two touchdowns. And Brian Kelly mentioned after the game, he said, hey, the guy had five touchdowns. Can he kick? 
Was that like a like a little shot at your man Jonathan Dore or what? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah, I mean, um, book, book with his legs again. It's I think he had always been a good runner. Like we've we've always seen this, but it's just been a little bit different this year because he he just seems to run at the right time. Like. It's not like a nervousness anymore. To me, it's more of a confidence thing. Like I've mentioned this in the past. Like in the past, he scrambled and sometimes ran. Now he sometimes did it smartly, but a lot of times it seemed like he would scramble when he was nervous, had that little you know anxiousness in the pocket where there's happy feet and it's like, hey, are you seeing ghosts? Like why why are you leaving the perfectly clean pocket? But now that doesn't happen. He, I mean, every now and then maybe, but now it's more of a confidence thing. He's going to scramble to make the crazy play on third down. He's going to scramble and have his wide receiver that he trusts improvise, break off his route, and fight him, kind of like he did against Boston College with Ben Skoranek for that touchdown. So, like, I think uh, what he's been able to do with his feet this year has been different. And when you talk with uh, all the players that he's faced this year, it always seems like they say, yeah, you know, we knew he was good with his legs, but we didn't know he was this good. It always seems like that's what they're saying. Like that's what Garrett Williams, cornerback for Syracuse said last night. Uh, Jeff Halfley said it for the Boston college head coach, Matt Brown, North Carolina said it. So I, I think, you know, time and again, that's that's a way he can beat you, um, and it, and it and it changes how the defense defends you. You know they've they've got to spy you up. They've got to account for that, and then that can free up, you know, uh, uh, one of his wide receivers downfield. So it's like it, it adds a, it definitely adds another element to this offense. You mentioned the feature story earlier this week by Tyler James on Javon McKinley. You did a deep dive as well this week on Kyron Williams. Like we talk about Javon McKinley and what a revelation he's been going for seven catches, 111 yards, and three touchdowns, his first three touchdowns of the season on Saturday. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Kyron Williams, a guy who was benched in the, in the first game of the season in 2019 because he looked like a freshman out there against Louisville. All Kyron Williams has done this year is run for over 1,000 yards. He went for 110 on Saturday to give him 1,011 for the season. Talk about a guy coming from nowhere to somewhere Kyron Williams going for a thousand yards. We didn't see Javon McKinley coming. I don't think many of us saw Kyron Williams coming this fall either. Yeah, I was fortunate to talk with his family, and just my big question for them was like, how much has his life changed, and how is he handling it? Because you, you talk about how he went from really a relative nobody in the world of college football. No, 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 non Notre Dame fan who isn't from St. Louis, knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And then this year, now he's probably one of the best college running backs. You know, yeah, he's one of the best running backs in college football. And just to go from, from where he was three months ago to, you know, helping them win against Clemson and being like near perfect in pass protection – having all these 100-yard rushing games, 1,000-yard rushing season, the first 1,000-yard rushing season Notre Dame's had since Josh Adams in 2017. 
I, that's a huge freaking deal, especially because he's a red shirt freshman. And, you know, it was interesting talking with his family because they said like, you know, he can't even use text messages anymore. Like that's how much his phone is just blowing up on a regular basis. He's got the fourth cousin he's never heard of coming out the woodworks and, and reaching out, trying to share his success. Hey man, you got a Jersey for me? Can I get one of those 23 jerseys? Right. And I think the, the, the big thing for him is his family always envisioned this. When he was six years old, his mother said, you're going to be playing college football one day. I'm confident in that. They always had that confidence. And he was always the all-star growing up. He was always the best player on the best team. And, you know, he won a state championship as a senior. And, like, I, I think they always had that confidence in him. And so and, – and he always had this huge success in St. Louis. And so, like, he is kind of used to that success. And so now you're seeing – that on a bigger scale, you know, now Ezekiel Elliott is mentoring him. Uh, you've got Todd McShay talking about how he's going to be a top running back, maybe in, in not next year's draft, but the year after that. Mm -hmm. And it's just glowing review week after week. And he just turned 20 in August. Like, how do you handle going from being an unknown to being this huge star? And I think he's handled it really well. And you're just seeing him impress every single week. It, it doesn't seem like there's many down games for him. And it, it just has to make you wonder what's possible for him next year. If, if he can do this year one, what is he going to do next year, potentially his final year at Notre Dame? Best part of Kyron Williams from a media standpoint is he's a go-to quote, right? Yeah. Like he's – you. you we weren't, we weren't able to talk to any of the seniors after the game because they had senior day stuff going on, so they didn't meet the media. But when they're able to bring in Kyron Williams and Tommy Tremble, as far as the, their, their personality in the media, don't change a thing because those are, the two, those are two really good talkers on a team that eh, – like you, 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 I may put Drew, Drew White in that, in that category, maybe Jeremiah Wusukoromoa in that category, but – Kyron Williams and Tommy Tremble, if we need a quote, we're going to one of those two guys every single time. Always got to love the down-to-earth guys that have personalities, right? Like the, Exactly. Like us, you know? Like, <laughs> no, but, like, yeah, Kyron. Would you, rather, would you rather we just sit here and talk in monotone and not really uh, say anything? Like, there have been guys that have come through the program that have been like that. But when you talk to Kyron Williams, yeah. like you can ask him anything and you know you're going to get a pretty good answer. He also has the funniest facial expressions. Like if you ask <laughs> him a bad question, he's going to let you know. He's going to be like, what? Like, excuse me? Like it's his eyebrows for me. Like he'll just always like cringe them up like, huh? What is this guy saying? Not in a rude way. I think he's just kind of <laughs> like he's kind of telling it how it is. And I, I, I kind of love that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm fortunate to be able to get to know a lot of these guys during the recruiting process and just kind of, you know, do multiple stories on them and then kind of get to know them. And, yeah, Kyron is the same guy that he was a couple years ago from, from what I've seen. And I think to go through that overnight success and still be that same guy is uh, pretty impressive. 
Looking at the stats after the game on, on Saturday, you know, you, you kind of see what the offense did. You see what Ian Book did, Javon McKinley, Kyron Williams. And then you look at the defensive stats, and, and one stat just – you look at the tackles, and it just, like, jumps right off the page at you. Like, Clarence Lewis, kid's a true freshman. He had, he had – he led, he led everybody yesterday in 12 tackles. Like, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> it did. And, like, I'm always weird because when a defensive back gets a lot of tackles – that's not always a good thing because mm-hmm. like, that could either mean like if you're a cornerback, that means they're throwing to you a lot. And if you're a safety, that means the linebackers aren't getting enough tackles. Uh, so I think they went at Lewis a little bit, but I don't think he gave up that many big plays. Like I don't think there were really that many. It was just a lot of like five yard out kind of things. Yeah. And maybe Notre Dame was like, Hey, we'll give you that all day. We don't want the big play. Uh, but Overall, Clarence Lewis, I think Notre Dame's really excited about where he's at. He kind of resembles what Notre Dame is looking for in a cornerback now. They're recruiting a lot of cornerbacks who have experience playing wide receiver, have ball skills because of that. They're fluid athletes. They're long. They're, uh, you, know, you know, they got the length, you know, 6'1", 6'2". That's sort of the size they kind of like them at. And Clarence Lewis embodied all of that. He started his recruitment as a wide receiver. He was inexperienced as a cornerback, and then he kind of grew into that role. I think what Notre Dame's philosophy is with recruiting and developing cornerbacks now is let's get a guy who is long and a great athlete and all that and grow him into the position. Might not be that experienced. Maybe he just played the position for a year or two. Let's grow him into the position because he'll have a higher ceiling than a guy who's – Played cornerback his whole life, seven on seven and varsity football. And, you know, it's kind of hit his ceiling. He's just a three-star guy and never going to be better than that and can't play another position and it's just going to be cornerback for him. Like, no, you would rather have the guy who can play multiple positions, doesn't have the experience, but by the end of his career could end up being – you know, a crazy good player. And, and I think that's what they saw in Clarence Lewis. They're seeing it in other guys that they're recruiting. And you're seeing it already play off in some ways. And by the end of his career, the, just the more and more he learns at that position, he can end up being, you know, a really talented quarterback for this team. The fact that he was able to see the field as a true freshman you know, speaks volumes. And, and then, you know, you just have to think projection-wise a couple of years from now, you know, he should be a pretty dang good corner. So Notre Dame closes the book on the regular season, 2020 regular season, 45-21 over Syracuse on Saturday. The Irish moved to 10-0, 9-0 in the ACC. They are now 13 days away from the playing for an ACC championship in Charlotte, rematch against Clemson. That game comes up Saturday, December 19th, kickoff about 4 p.m. down there in North Carolina. The day before that, is a pretty big day in your world because you're the recruiting guru. Give us a quick recap of where Notre Dame stands as far as verbal commitments, what you expect, how many they're going to eventually sign, and then maybe the next couple of days leading into signing day, what that may hold for this Notre Dame football program. Well, I'm going to tease some people. There you go. You are a tease. (laughs) Notre Dame will land a commitment either today or tomorrow. Oh, here we go. We got some breaking news from Carter Carls. As we sit here at 10.50 on Sunday morning, he's saying there's a commitment coming. 
either later Sunday or sometime Monday afternoon, right? Yes, sir. And that will bring them to 24 commitments this class. One of the bigger classes under Brian Kelly, uh, I think it could end up being a 26-player class. They've got a few more options left, and they're looking at a couple running backs, the, the most notable one being Donovan Edwards. Cornerback, they're looking at uh, Sierra Wright as kind of the main option there. Uh, they're looking at defensive end, Devin Alpew uh, out of California is the, is the big uh, guy to look for there. And then at wide receiver, they're kind of flirting with a couple options. Keegan Johnson's a commit to Iowa that's kind of heard from the coaching staff. So there's a few options, and um, I think they have a lot of backup plans as well. If you know Donovan Edwards doesn't work out or Sierra Wright doesn't work out, they're content with going after other guys at their position as well. Uh, but, you know, just been a roller coaster of a recruiting cycle. They started off number one in the class. Mm-hmm. Then they took a nosedive. And the pandemic really hurt them. And then they figured it out again. And now all of a sudden, I believe they're poised for a top 10 class. They had some roster attrition that allowed them to expand. They initially planned to get like a 20-player class. Now it's going to be 25 or 26. And, yeah, again, I think by the end of this class, it's going to be top 10. And trying to figure out what these numbers all mean, it's like – there should be no math involved, but there will, will be because of the whole coronavirus thing. Who's coming back? Who may come back? Who doesn't want to come back? Like when you start trying to figure out what this roster is going to look like in 2021 and beyond because of the pandemic right now, it, 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 it just it, it gives you a headache to try to figure out how they're going to get to state 85 or what the number is going to be. It's just one, it's one big mess right now. What was really funny at the game yesterday was they, they played a on the video board, some tributes to the seniors from their families, their parents. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of them are really great. And uh, at one point they showed Dylan Gibbons, the, uh, the, the senior offensive lineman at Notre Dame played some, some right guard a little bit uh, against Syracuse with, with the injuries, Uh, but been a backup for most of his career. And uh, his parents went on and he, and his dad says, Something along the lines of, Dylan, uh, amazing how we have this situation next year where you're coming back next year, and we just can't wait for you to play next year as well. You're going to have two senior days. And everyone in the press box is like, wait a second. Wait, what? Huh? Really? Like, not, not that that's bad, but, like, we didn't know this. This is news to us. Um, and also, like, are they sure they, they can commit to that yet? Like, I don't know. It was, like, really funny because – you know, I'm sure they know what they're doing and, uh, and, and they've got a great family, but it was like such a surprise because no one else knew that. So it was like, oh, breaking news, Dylan Gibbons coming back this year. But yeah, I think there's a lot of players like that where you're looking at and you're like, man, I don't know who's coming back and like who, who wants to come back. But um, there's, been, yeah. there's been one guy that we know – is definitely coming back because he said so, and that would be Jonathan Dore. Like everybody else, yeah. you kind of you kind of figure, Lee and Eichenberg's not coming back. Yeah, Ian Book's not coming back. Robert Hainsey's not coming back. And they we've asked when when we've talked with these guys throughout the year, they've been asked that fifth year question, and they they go back to the standard answer. Yeah, I'm not even thinking about that right now. You know, it's not even something I gave any consideration to. 
But then when Jonathan Dorr was asked, he's like, yeah, I think I'm coming back next year. Yeah. So, like, he's the only guy out of everybody that has taken that fifth-year thing and run with it. Everybody else kind of still up in the air, except for the obvious guys that we just mentioned. John only answered truthfully because I asked him the question. Of so. course. Yeah, like, you, you have that ability to draw the stories and draw the truth out of people and not get the standard answer. Because I trick them, you know, <laughs> and bribe them, obviously. So. <laughs> okay, that's it for Syrac- Syracuse. You got any closing thoughts? Man, no. it's going to be a crazy couple weeks. I'm telling you, Clemson and the early signing period. And my final thought recruiting-wise is this class, you may, you may look at the three stars. A lot of people like dwelling on three stars. But I think the top third of the class, like the, the top eight, top ten guys, you can stack them up with almost any top eight, top ten of any other class. And that's the, that's the story of this class. There are so many top 200 players from this class in, in that top 10. And that group of players is going to be special. And how good the three stars are, the, the other third or two thirds or half of that class will kind of determine how great of a class it is collectively. But the top eight, top 10 is extremely special. And they're bringing in talent that, that hasn't really been at Notre Dame at, at, at a couple positions. So, Going to be interesting with that, with Trevor Lawrence. Notre Dame is going to see him for the first time since 2018. And at this point, Notre Dame, it would seem that there's no way that they can miss the playoff at this point. They'd have to lose to Clemson by 40 points. And even then, they may still make the playoff. But Not, not happening. It doesn't I think, I think, and we'll get into this after the, whatever happens in Charlotte, but I think – regardless of what happens in Charlotte, win, lose, overtime, close game, not close game, Notre Dame's going back to the playoff. Book it. Book it. It's either – it's like I said a couple – last week, it's, it's one of two L.A.'s. They're going to Los Angeles or they're going to Louisiana. Done. And I think fans hope it's Louisiana because the Rose Bowl is already announced. No fans. No fans. So – They may not play – they may not even play that game in California with the way those numbers are going out there. So who knows what's going to happen? The the 49ers are playing in Arizona yep. for the foreseeable future. Maybe they, maybe they have to move the game to Arizona or someplace like that, which would be kind of wild. But um, and again, that's just speculation. But yeah, going to be something to to watch. And Notre Dame can just sit back and relax this this next week. Notre Dame 45, Syracuse 21. Notre Dame 10 and 0, 9 and 0 in the ACC. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks after. Still sounds strange to say it, but after the ACC championship game between Clemson and Notre Dame.